The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. All right, literally getting into it with the weather as it stands. I just want to bring on very quickly Kholukhelo Masangu from the forecaster who's going to speak to us now about the weather. I don't know about you, but I got a little bit excited when I saw the weather. Kholukhelo, thank you so much. Kholukhelo, rather, thank you so much for joining us. We have been warned to take extra precautions as the mercury was set to dip over the weekend and it did on saturday afternoon you started feeling the biting cold setting in now we started seeing what feels like snow looks like snow across some parts of the country we were expecting it to get at least up to minus two just speak to us about what the weather is at the moment hi uh Tidi. so thank you so much for having me on the show um what we are currently experiencing or seeing is um indeed snow so it's been light um, snowfalls in Gauteng, um, but quite moderate and heavy as you go towards the Mbumalanga, Kizaren, um and the Eastern Cape uh, provinces. So uh, for today, we are still expecting a bit of snow still over the um, Sidibeng uh, municipality there in the south, especially over the Heidelberg areas, Midval, um, Lesedi. And um, that's just about it for Gauteng today, um, mostly just in that southwestern corner of the province. Um, the snow that was in Joburg, Ekurilen in the West Rand seems to have dissipated. Mm, that makes some of us a little bit sad and some of us a little bit happy <laughs> to see the snow going away. Is this the coldest part of our winter? How or will it get worse still? Uh, I think as you can tell, there's no telling if this is the coldest we'll get this uh, this season. So, but then for the next two weeks, that is, this is definitely the coldest. Um, it's going to get in the next two weeks, and then we will update forecast as time goes. We're not sure, really. There is no telling. All right, thank you so much. That's Kholufela Matlangu from the South African Weather Services, a forecaster speaking about the weather. We continue with that story. I want to bring on now Professor of Physical Geography at the University of Witt-Vatersrand to speak about snow. Uh, Professor Jennifer Fitchett, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we've been debating about what it is that we're seeing outside. Is it sleet or is it snow? Let me just start there. Sure. So we've definitely seen some snow today across Johannesburg. We had some uh, quite heavy snowfall by Johannesburg standards here at Fitz University. There have also been some regions that had some some rainfall alongside it. Uh, And so typically we'd refer to sleet as being rain that contains ice particles. So some regions have had uh, some sleet as well as some snow. I don't know if Professor can still hear me now speaking about the sleet versus now. I saw some icy particles earlier and I said to my colleagues that actually looks like sleet. I think it has to have ice and the professor is confirming that. Professor Jennifer, I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you. Yes, you can continue. Um, how cold does it have to get? I remember being a youngster and hearing a child and hearing that there are certain conditions that have to be in place, that it can't be necessarily too, too cold in order for it to happen, uh, for snow to fall down. What does it take to get this kind of weather? Correct. So uh, to have a snowfall event in Johannesburg, we need to have a strong mid-latitude cyclone, uh, which has a strong cold front uh, associated I keep losing the professor. You keep dipping in and out a little bit. So, yes, you you can continue. 
Sure. Uh, so we have uh, the cold conditions from a mid-latitude cyclone together with... Yeah, that line is not necessarily consistent. I'm going to have to drop you, Professor. Maybe I'll come back to you at a later stage. I do want to know a little bit more to understand the difference because I've been hearing for a very long time that it should not necessarily be icy cold. And she was confirming there that that is actually the truth, that it takes a little bit. She was trying to explain. We'll try and get a, a bit of understanding of it. I want to bring now EMS spokesperson Nana Khadeb into the conversation. Nana, thank you so much for joining us. It's been the coldest night of the year thus far. What's a been like for you as emergency services in the province? Uh, afternoon to you and afternoon to the listeners. Um, yeah, the temperatures have dropped and it is very cold. It's around this time when people would want to keep themselves warm. Uh, we've not seen an increase in fires as yet. Uh, we've responded to at least five this morning where we had uh, one fatality at uh, George Koch informal settlement where about 15 shacks burned down. Uh, but we are on high alert and uh, would want residents to be more careful. This is the time when we respond to more fires. So between today and the next coming days, we are going to be having more fires as we go. Speaking about the more fires, though, we are concerned around informal settlements. I know you said that there's not been a lot of incidents as yet, but just to talk through those do's and don'ts where people have to be careful at this point in time uh, with the weather being so cold. Uh, the most thing that we realize is that uh, when people keep themselves warm, they either use stoves or heaters, and they will tend to leave those unattended. Uh, what we want people to do is that if and when you leave a room, make sure that whatever you are keeping yourself warm with, you remove it, because there are other materials. You might be in the bedroom, there's your curtains, there's other things in the room that might uh, catch fire. We can't say we are going to work and you want to, when you return, the room to be warm and you leave the heater day. It's not safe. And we also have imbaula braziers, uh, which you can't also leave in the in the room for too long because of the smoke, people that have smoke inhalations of smoke inhalation. And just in the past month we've had uh, over twenty five deaths caused by fire service, including of ten kids. So we really have to be more careful. Nana, we tend to focus a lot on what happens in informal settlements around the use of, of, of trying to get fire going to keep warm. But also, ordinary brick-and-mortar homes should also be causes for concern. The use of gas heaters is increased during this time, isn't it? Definitely. And we have seen that uh, fires in urban residence has also increased. Uh, we have more fires in bedrooms and houses because of heaters and uh, the, the candles that we use from time to time that would also leave unattended. Um, and this is caused by most of the time it's just negligence of things that we do. Unless there's load shedding, then power comes on, then there's a fire. But in most instances, you'd find someone says, I went to the shop and I left the heater on, uh, which then you wouldn't even know how the fire started. Hence, we say that when you leave the room, make sure that whatever that you are using to keep yourself warm, switch it off. All right, thank you so much. That's Emergency Services Spokesperson Nana Khatebe saying whatever you're doing, when you leave the room, switch the heater off. But as you know, we're still a country battling with load shedding, so you can imagine snow or sleet, rainfall, whatever you want to call it, meeting 
traffic lights that are completely not working is recipe for a disaster. I always say people forget how to drive when it rains. I imagine it's worse today. I bring on now a JMPD spokesperson, Kalani Fitla, to speak to us very quickly. Kalani, thank you so much for joining us. Let's speak about what the roads are like and driving through the snow. What's it been like in Joburg? Uh, good morning to you, and let me also take the, the opportunity to greet uh, the listeners. Uh, definitely, we've had uh, unfavorable weather conditions uh, on our roads. So that's from last night and this morning as well. We've been the city of Johannesburg, and it's left uh, the roads wet and slippery, and with uh, visibility reduced. We know that we haven't been having uh, much uh, traffic uh, volumes uh, this uh, uh, period. Uh, it's partly uh, due to that uh, schools are closed and uh, there isn't uh, much traffic volumes, but we have had uh, uh, some accidents that have happened uh, this morning within the city of Johannesburg, and there's five accidents that were reported uh, to the JNPD. Uh, four of those were uh, motor vehicle accidents, and one was involving a pedestrian, and from those four uh, motor vehicle accidents, uh, one had uh, some slight injuries, and the others, fortunately, there weren't any injuries reported, but uh, uh, with that uh, pedestrian uh, accident, uh, which happened on Caller Drive, and the M1 in Bramley. There was uh, uh, injuries to the position and had to be taken uh, to the clear, uh, closest uh, medical uh, facility. All right, thank you so much. Colony, people get confused and get upset, actually not even confused, more upset when they don't see pointsmen assisting in traffic. But it's not necessarily safe for them to be out there. Just to quickly run through that as well, please. Uh, yes, uh, uh, definitely we are promoting uh, that uh, it should be people who are authorized uh, by the city of Johannesburg and people who are trained to be controlling traffic and especially with these weather conditions, any uh, a slight distraction and any uh, wrong instruction from the person who's controlling traffic can lead to an accident and we know that uh, if it's an unauthorized person who's not uh, uh, controlling, who is actually controlling traffic within the city, then unfortunately you won't uh, be covered and have uh, problems with your insurance and so we're having to pay uh, access uh, to that. But we are encouraging our motorists uh, to drive with extra caution and especially with this weather, reduce your vehicle speed and keep both hands on the steering wheel. Always keep your eyes on the road and always be aware for potential hazards like stationary vehicles, pedestrians, or potholes or excavations or even traffic congestion that you do come across. And when the visibility has uh, kind of deterred, uh, then switch the vehicle's headlamps on for better visibility and that's to see and to be seen as well. Uh, thank you so much. That's JMPD's Kalani Fitla telling you the do's and don'ts when you're out on the road, when you're driving through the wet and slippery roads. What are your thoughts? Have you seen the snow? Have you seen the sleet? What are your impressions of it? What are, what are you thinking about with regards to the weather that we've been experiencing? I think the last time it snowed in Gauteng, if I'm correct, I might not be. I think it might have been in 2012. What are your thoughts? We want to hear from you. You can, re- uh, you can reach us on 072-702-1702 or send a WhatsApp or voice note to 072 072- 2567-1567. What's it like in Cape Town? What's the weather today? We know it's usually drastic around this time of the year. On 702 and Cape Talk, this is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. Specialists who enable your business growth aspirations. We now speak to the Salvation Army. It does give hope to those who need, well, it gives to those in need of food and blankets, particularly with conditions like this. I imagine the Salvation Army's hands are full. We speak now to Tatisile Simeno from the Salvation Army, the spokesperson. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't imagine how busy Salvation Army has been across the country today. 
good day. Yes, uh, good day to you and to your listeners. Thank you. This is Major Tatekele Semino from the Salvation Army in, uh, Head Office. It is quite busy for the Salvation Army having to get um, uh, many people coming to our doorstep, uh, asking for hot meal, asking for food and clothes and, I mean, uh, blankets. Uh, it is very cold out there. And uh, and, and, and it being our minister, especially to attend to the people who, who are homeless, who are, who are disparate, um, at, at this time of the of the year, so we, we we have quite a number of them who are coming to our doorstep in different parts of the country, asking for for assistance, and even others calling for accommodation, um, uh, temporary shelter, and so forth uh, to to ask for assistance. So what? this is what is happening. What's the past twenty four hours been like? Look, we've been indicted with calls. People have been calling, people have been coming. And unfortunately, uh, we, 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 we reach out to, to where we can, obviously. Uh, we rely on um, uh, 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 good Samaritans, uh, uh, people uh, donating uh, stuff to us to be able to help um, uh, the people who come to our doorstep. And when we have made an appeal and we continue to make an appeal for those kind of assistance to come uh, so they can be able to help those who are less fortunate than ourselves. But, but we have been busy uh, over the last uh, few hours. How can people uh, join and assist the Salvation Army? In, in different ways. Obviously, people can donate and whatever uh, clothes, uh, in second clothes, blankets, uh, uh, food, uh, hot meal, and, and they can join us as we serve uh, people in different uh, parts of the country. Uh, in, uh, as long as we know where they are, we can locate them. They can contact my number, me, and then we can we can locate them. And then, but they can come probably uh, do a practical work or just give us donation. All right, thank you so much. I'll repeat your number before the end of the show. Tatetsile Simeno from the Salvation Army speaking to us about the kind of help that they've been trying to do for those in need, helping with blankets and with food and saying that some people have been calling their accommod- um, the Salvation Army looking for accommodation. The Midday Report. You might have heard the story many are talking about from last night well into this morning. The issue of the trucks that have been burned down. The first ones we heard about was waking up to the story rather yesterday morning that six trucks were burned down on the N3. We woke up again today and hearing that more trucks were burned down along the Mpumalanga area. I think that's along the N4. And the question one keeps asking themselves is, is it a coincidence? We are marking two years since those July 2021 unrest. Is it that it is it the issues within the freight industry itself? So it is a question that many of us are asking. I know earlier Police Minister Becky Kaila shared his views on the incident and the work being done by police behind the scenes. Take a listen. Well, last night at about 12, uh, one truck that was in a queue of trucks was attacked by a white car. Uh, that the police are chasing, they seems to be establishing. They are working on the on the toll gates to establish exactly the identification of that car. They they stopped it. They pour the petrol. They burn it. They open fire on it. it looks like the rest of the tr- of the trucks uh, got the fire from the fir- from the first truck. Fortunately, uh, there could have been more damage. The the those that patrol. The highway they were they were there to be able to fend them off those uh, those guys to save the other trucks i'm told you that you're not very far in finding the car and to know who were, <coughs> were in there the tensions that uh, you are talking about is now has been doubled because the the, the organization called atd 
itself now has got problems. There are people that they feel that others are too moderate. And we, we believe that it could be the internal conflict of that organization. Uh, others trying to be more radical. Uh, uh, from our side, uh, as the police, as I've said, uh, I'm, I'm told by the two provincial commissioners of Free State and KZN that they are, they are close on identifying and finding those people. That sound there of Police Minister Becky Taylor, courtesy of the SABC, saying that they're closing in on the suspects who are believed to be involved in the torching of those trucks. We speak now to a professor in transport and logistics management at UJ, the University of Johannesburg, Professor Jackie Walters. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us, Prof. It really okay. is difficult to not read this as something more sinister or to not connect it to what happened in the country two years ago. Is it simply a coincidence seeing KZN Mpumalanga and you wonder who's next? Yes, well, it's very concerning because uh, it began like this two years ago as well when they targeted the trucking industry first. And in these two cases, uh, it's very clear that it's pressure points on those two corridors one on top of the mountain pass, the other one just before the tunnel. So he closed down those routes. Unfortunately, on the, uh, the, the tunnel area, they could have bypass road there, but not on the, on the road in, um, you know, in top of the Fundamentals Pass. So it's very concerning. But, Prof, what is your sense, though, about surveillance? You know, we knew that they shut down this corridor and had a massive impact, an adverse impact on the country's economy. So we know that that's a target. It is quite vulnerable. But one would have imagined that by now there would have been heightened security at all times along a route like the N3. What is your sense of the approach from intelligence and, and ultimately policing of the N3? Well, one would like to have a 24-hour police presence, especially at these choke points on these uh, logistics corridors. And maybe at a time like this, when maybe people would like you know, to, to, um, to repeat what they maybe did two years ago or begin the uh, repeat process. Um, but what we should do now, really, the police should really be at these points and patrol those routes to make sure it doesn't escalate. Because road freight is really critical to South Africa. You know, it's 88% of all our tonnages are moved by road transport in this country. And with the deteriorating services from rail, uh, we are becoming increasingly dependent on road transport. So it's very important that we do get a grip on these areas. But I mean, this is a long, you know, torching of trucks, vandalizing trucks, you know, uh, stealing from trucks is a common thing in South Africa today. Many companies today have escorts for their vehicles through, through uh, risky areas. And um, this this adds to, to the cost of doing business in South Africa. Professor, let's speak about the kind of damage that this does to the economy. You speak about how it adds to the cost of doing business in South Africa. It leads to that conversation around economic sabotage that we've heard some suggesting that this is, you know, saying that um, this is not just about even the July unrest. It's not even just about the freight wars. This is economic sabotage. The president himself yesterday saying to us as journalists that it does seem like economic sabotage. But what is the cost when you consider that goods also have to be replaced over and above the trucks themselves? Well, if you look at the economy today, we have a modern economy. Many businesses work on a just-in-time basis. They don't have storage facilities or very limited storage facilities. So they are dependent on reliable, time-definite, time-critical deliveries of goods to their plants. And uh, when this happens, you know, a corridor closes down 
for a few hours like you've had now, uh, your plant also comes to a standstill. And, and this is really costly from a production point of view. You don't want that. So at the end of the day, over the longer term, companies will be forced to have higher levels of stock holding, which increases the cost of the products at the end of the day. That's just one area. I think the other area that we are underestimating is, is the fact that um, people could lose jobs at the end of the day, not only in the trucking industry, but also in these plants, obviously. But if you look at Southern Africa, if, uh, Namibia, for instance, a lot of trucks are now moving via Namibia to Office Bay from Angola and Zambia and Zimbabwe on new corridors that they are developing because of instability in South Africa. All right. So we, we, could, we could face huge issues like this over time, not only in the road transport industry, but also in the ports, where people are dependent on cargo movements through the ports. All right, thank you so much. That's UJ's Professor Jackie Walter speaking about the trucks that were torched on the highways. The Midday Report. You are listening to the Midday Report. My name is T.D. Madia. Standing in for Mandy Wiener, we've unpacked quite a bit. Spoken about the trucks, spoke a lot, a lot, a lot about the weather. People excited about the snow, but also people concerned about what happens to the roads, what happens to people in their homes when they're trying to keep warm, but also what happens... Um, with such weather with the homeless that's also something that we continuously keep on mind we are going to still speak about the ANC gathering over the BRICS summit we'll speak to Benedette Wicks in a short while about those SANDF trainees who were assaulted on the highway remember by the VIP protection unit members that belong to the deputy president we'll also look at spots that happened over the weekend good day TD I recall after the July looting, the president allocated the intelligence within the presidency, meaning he shouldn't be concerned about the tortured trucks. He should be in a position to know what was happening if his presidency was leading the intelligence. So it seems to me that the president is a good guy, but not a good leader. Thanks, David. We'll talk about that. Thank you so much for that uh, voice note, David, about whether or not our president is a good leader because he's got his own views about how well he's fed. My issue around intelligence is that there was a damning report. Remember, it was him who said we need a high-level panel uh, investigation into what happened. The outcomes are brought forward, and the intelligence services, security forces are found really wanting as to how that happened. And two years down the line, one feels like it could possibly happen again. Why has there been no increased surveillance on the N3? That's the main um, artery that connects and holds this country's economy. And that's not under guard. It remains vulnerable to attacks like what happened over the weekend. That's what I don't understand. And when you speak about intelligence, he then said, because I was there yesterday when he met with journalists, and the president said that, um, that he's go- waiting for an intelligence report, that they'll be on top of this. The intelligence report should have been before the attack, right? We should have never known because they say spooks are the people who do the work while you're sleeping. That should have been dealt with while we're fast asleep. So two years on, one still worries. The Midday Report.
I bring on now Benedict Wicks from the Eyewitness News team. You'll remember last week we spoke quite a bit about the eight members of Deputy President Paul Mashatile's VIP Protection Unit, the video that was circulating online where they were assaulting what we now know to be SANDF trainees on the N1, N1 highway. We know that they've been suspended. And while there are questions about a criminal case, I understand many were calling for victims to sue the state. I understand that this is actually happening on this talks of it. Benedette will help us understand that a little bit more. Benedette, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. So it is certain that they are going to pursue civil action. At least one of the victims um, who's being represented by Daniel Eloff um, has already started the process of instituting civil proceedings. Now, when you sue the state, you have to give them notice and they have 60 days to respond before you can actually launch the civil action. So they have done that. They have given notice. Um, it should be the, the state gets 60 days. And after that time period, then they can kind of move forward with the process. There are another three victims who are being represented by Ulrich Ru, um, and they are still looking at the moment. What um, Ulrich Ru says is that they are focused primarily on the criminal case. Um, there have been no arrests as far as we know in terms of that, and their main focus really is, is making sure that that happens. Um, but he says they are simultaneously looking at the surrounding circumstances, evaluating the evidence potentially for a civil case. I heard in reports that the person who filmed that entire incident has been getting threatening messages. Then it got me thinking about the actual victims as well. Do we know what state of mind they're in? We imagine that they would get support and some counseling. Do we have any inkling if any of that has happened? Well, um, when I spoke to Daniel Eloff about his client, um, both he and Oruhu actually said that their clients are just obviously incredibly shocked, incredibly traumatized. Um, they, they've described the, the behavior of the VIP um, protection unit officers that day as thuggish. Um, but in terms of um, what Daniel Eloff has said about his client, he says that one of the exacerbating factors is that he doesn't feel he's received enough support from his employer, being the SANDF. Um, and he says he kind of feels like that has compounded, compounded the experience. Um, some of them have received counseling. We have heard that um, Daniel Eloff's client has not yet received any, any, any counseling, at least not from his employer. Um, but it sounds like they are obviously having a very difficult, a very difficult time. We all saw that video. Absolutely horrifying. Absolutely traumatic. Um, it's it, for me personally. I mean, it strikes fear into my heart for absolutely. the next time I'm driving on the freeway and come across. And you see VIP protection. Should not be how life is in a democracy. You and I were speaking about Oruhu's involvement in all of this. Just help me understand that a little bit better. Sure. So Oruhu has taken this case on uh, pro bono, actually. And when I did speak to him this morning, um, I did I did ask him why he wanted to be involved in this case. And this is what he had to say. I see it as an absolute indictment on our leadership. You know, these uh, VIP protection units claim that they act in the best interests of important people in our country and so-called VIPs, um, I think it's an absolute disgrace. Uh, you know, our leadership should look at this. The, the, the amount of money um, that goes into this VIP protection unit, um, I think I, I, uh, it was confirmed that their annual budget is 1.2 billion rand. Now, that's 1.2 billion rand that could be used for so many other valid causes or reasons. We have hospitals that there's no food at. We have schools that don't have working toilets yet. We are paying 1.2 million rand of taxpayers' money to these folks who uh, just absolutely abuse their powers. I've also been 
subjected to an incident uh, with these units and also being pushed off the road. So I think that, um, you know, we, uh, I feel very strongly about it that we must try and disband this VIP protection unit and, uh, and, and, you know, that, that leadership should take a stand and so that it's actually not necessary. Uh, for for a so-called important person to be conveyed with four or five uh, expensive big vehicles, and um, you know the, the people inside the vehicles just have no regard for our laws and, and they have no regard for for the innocent citizens in South Africa, and they will literally do anything, including breaking the law, to um, you know to try and stamp their authority on the roads, uh, and it's, uh, it's an absolute disgrace. I think it must be disbanded as soon as possible, and that's why I've taken it on pro bono, and hopefully we can make that difference. That's lawyer Ulrich Roo speaking to Benedict Wicks from Eyewitness News about that assault video that we saw during the rounds. I don't know if there's anyone who has not been pushed out of the way. It was a motorist by any VIP unit. And it's not a question of this belongs to the president or the deputy president, even a lowly MEC, a lowly minister. That happens to us all the time. So those frustrations, hey, I kind of understand. The Midday Report. We turn our attention now to Ekuruleni, where the ANC, following a three-day NEC, is today holding an election workshop and discussing the upcoming BRICS Summit and the BRICS Political Dialogue Summit that's set for the 18th to the 19th of July. I saw earlier its first Deputy Secretary General Nomvola Mokonyani was speaking to journalists about the ANC's approach to the BRICS Summit. Take a listen. ...with us beyond those that uh, were affected like us, we also had nations that uh, developed nations standing with us embracing what we stand for and and i think that that is the the, the approach that the african national congress is taking in the in this in this regard um the the the, the issue around uh, uh, other parties in south africa yes it's the anc um, we are the hosts um, we we've extended an invitation to the pan african uh, uh, Congress of Azania, the PAC, uh, as a former liberation movement uh, itself. Um, we, we've also included in, in these 54 parties, the ruling parties, uh, as well as uh, the former liberation movements, and the sister parties in the BRICS countries that are not in power. So that's, that's uh, the kind of uh, invitation. This is a template that has been agreed upon. It's not even the, the decision of the NC alone. It's a template. Remember, this is the second time that we host this kind of a gathering. So even when it was hosted in, 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 in China the last time, that's how uh, the invitations actually went out. That's the NC's first secretary, ooh, first Deputy Secretary General Nomvola Mokonyani speaking there about the BRICS Summit. Eyewitness News reporter Ndaizo Natonje is also out in Boxburg. He joins us now on the line. Ndaizo, welcome to the show. So global change, food security, territorial integrity, and absolutely the ICC were on the agenda today. Yeah, good afternoon, Tidi. And uh, that's what uh, Nomvola Mokonyani was talking about, the fact that uh, the 54 political parties that will be in attendance at this BRICS uh, political party dialogue will be uh, discussing um, issues also of uh, partnership of mutually uh, accelerated growth as far as um, 
de- developing nations is concerned. But um, more importantly, like you mentioned, there, the issue of the ICC, um, it, it's going to dominate this particular BRICS summit because the ANC is of the view that while it will not, for now, uh, withdraw from the ICC, there needs to be transformation of that. And uh, if you look at the parties that are actually in attendance uh, at this uh, political party dialogue, uh, they share similar views as far as the ANC is concerned on the issue of the ICC. So there's been a backlash over South Africa's standing. I heard us speaking about this non-alliance position that they've taken. We've seen really a back and forth. Think about the United States, really, on this particular issue. I understand that came up today as well. Yeah, it did come up. And Nomfula uh, 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 coming out then saying um, being non-aligned um, has come at a great cost for um, the, uh, the ruling party and the uh, to an extent, to the South African government. But uh, she further went on to say that this is not going to change uh, because uh, we've seen a shift um, from other countries uh, more coming to the understanding of where South Africa is and this non-aligned stance and saying that uh, people are beginning to understand why South Africa has taken the stance of non-alignment as opposed to um, being for or against uh, Russia or Ukraine. And she says more countries, in fact, um, want to join BRICS because of this non-aligned stance that South Africa is, is, is taking. Basically, what was uh, the long and short of it is the South Africa now becoming a big player in the geopolitics of uh, the world. Just before I let you go, I understood that they spoke a little bit about the Zimbabwean elections that are taking place on the 23rd of August. But this workshop was also meant to discuss the ANC's own approach to its elections. They have a list conference coming up. What was the outcome of the deliberations around that? Well, so the elections uh, workshop, the manifesto uh, uh, workshop, they call it, is now currently underway. We are going to have an open session where uh, we'll get an understanding of what this is all about and what the ANC um, plans to put on the manifesto. But uh, the long and short of it, I think, is uh, the fact that the ANC wants to align its manifesto with the current challenges that uh, the South African public are faced with, unemployment, load shedding, uh, uh, a a slow-growing economy. Uh, So those are some of the things that will be will form part of this uh, uh, manifesto workshop uh, that is currently uh, underway and uh, we will have an open session for um, the media where we'll be able to get a better understanding of uh, the outcomes of that. All right, thank you so much. That's Ndaizone Tonje, EWN reporter who's out and about in, well, in Birchwood, in Boxburg with the ANC. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. Good morning, Sidi. Good morning to you and your team. Sidi, uh, such things of, of penny of trucks will keep on happening. This, this thing has been, been happening over years. Uh, because when people speak, when people um, uh, want to talk about their frustration, uh, the government doesn't listen. And, 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 and what government do is, is that they only act when these things are happening. There's no ongoing negotiations of how we can 
tackle this situation and make sure that everybody uh, uh, is accommodated, uh, especially on, uh, on freight side. I mean, you, you, we currently working with with countries like Zimbabwe, whereby an opposition party is, is being stopped uh, from having a rally. And uh, what that means is that all those people come this side for work. So such things are never going to stop. I mean, even government cannot take a stand on such things on, on the main party in Zimbabwe. So let's just forget it. Uh, good day, city. Did I hear well? 1.2 million budget for, for, for the for VIP protection for what? When we've got schools with big toilets, when people go to bed hungry, they're earning 2 point something million, which is enough for them to hire their own bodyguards. Let these thugs hire their own bodyguards. It's anonymous here. Anonymous calling uh, political leaders thugs. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think many might agree with that sentiment. Thank you so much for your voice notes. You know, yesterday I went to an engagement with the president. Um, it was him and a couple of journalists. And it was really bewildering for me that he, he plays victimhood. You know, oh, he's at its hardest. But you are a leader. You must lead. You know, he still very much holds on to being a process man. He's reflected on the new dawn phenomenon. But what I also thought was really interesting were questions around his deputy. Because Paul Machatil has told City Press that, you know, there's a plot to oust him. Listen to a little bit of what the president had to say about this yesterday. Well, I also saw the report of the city press and I had a discussion with the deputy president and, um, and uh, I said, but what is this? And we are going to have another discussion because, and I immediately said to him, I appointed you and uh, I'm the only person <laughs> who can uh, de-appoint you. And uh, there is just no thought, no plan, no inkling whatsoever that something like that uh, could be in the works and uh, I would have you know to have my own head examined to have had a deputy president appointed and thereafter because I'm the only one who could remove him uh, unless the party decides so uh, and, and then do that so there is no truth or substance uh, to to that at all, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the issue of uh, former President Thabo Mbeki um, uh, being asked whether he will campaign, and I think, I mean, there are a number of issues that uh, we uh, have been in conversation with him on, and we will continue to, to do that. Uh, and uh, he's a revered and respected leader of our organization and matters that uh, uh, have to be discussed will be discussed and of course we we would like you know as many of our leaders as possible uh, to participate in the forthcoming uh, elections and uh, we we will be campaigning very hard uh, and hopefully with as many leaders as possible so yeah that's President Sildamapos and his capacity, of course, as NC president yesterday. I'd asked him questions about the plot to remove Paul Mashatile's deputy. And, of course, that interview that I had with former President Abombeki in Conakry, where he then said he doesn't know if he'll be campaigning for the ANC. The ANC is currently busy with its election manifesto. What will they offer you? Will you be convinced? We have to wait till 2024. The Midday Report.
That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.